This is InsureTech Radio, episode number four, with me, Connor Sweetman. Our guest this week is Darren Smith of the InsureTech Network Center in IT Carlo. Darren Smith is the Business Development Manager of the InsureTech Network Centre based in the Institute of Technology in Carlow in Ireland. The InsureTech Network Centre is an exciting initiative that enables collaborations between established insurance firms and InsureTech startups. Prior to his role with the INC, Darren gained extensive experience across claims, underwriting and business development. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm Darren Smith. Uh, I work for InsureTech Network Centre at IT Carlo. Um, so my responsibility is to effectively establish, manage and develop um, the InsureTech Network Centre or INC, um, but to try and develop the INC um, as a partner, innovation partner of choice for both incumbent insurance players in the Irish market, so that would insurer, broker and MGA, um, and also to work with InsureTechs, um, InsureTech startups, and to, to, to enable collaboration between those startups, between incumbent insurance players, and also between the research and development capabilities that we have in Institute of Technology Cardinal. You were on um, a YouTube show a couple of weeks ago, uh, InsureTech Underground. You spoke about three teams, three themes in uh, InsureTech. So you spoke about digitization, commoditization, and disintermediation. A bit of a mouthful. Um, and the, I think you spoke quite briefly on each of those topics um, uh, on the on the show. And I, what I'd love to do, I'd love to go kind of a bit more into detail into each of those because uh, they seem quite fundamental um, to me. And I, personally, I'd like to get my head around each of them as well. So maybe if we just start at the top, digitization. Like, first of all, how would you how would you define it? How would I define it? I, I think it's probably it's it's a little bit beyond definition, even. But <laughs> I mean, in a simpler sense, it's it's really it's looking at the traditional any traditional delivery model and and then turning it into something that could be consumed on a device or through the digital channel. So the digital channel is obviously um, computer website online but even moving beyond that now and I had an interesting conversation actually with a, a very proactive broker here in Ireland in the last week where the acceptance that maybe the, the kind of static website the, the mm-hmm. storefront website is probably the counter or the, the, the front door of the office in, in, the, in the next 10 to 15 years and what I mean by that is I think that mobile devices whether it's tablet or probably more generally now or more specifically uh, would be in know your phone i think that's where people are, are interacting that's where people are doing business yeah. and we actually looked at it and we said a static you know kind of a pc website that it does you know, obviously you can see i'm not a tech person but a static website is probably you're getting to a scenario now where there's a tipping point of that being probably something that people will prefer not to interact with you know and i i just have one one story actually that came up in the last only the last few days my daughter who's eight and um, she uh, she's shopping for communion dresses, uh, and I heard her last. I think it was last Friday night, and she was going with her mother to to, to go and look for dresses the following day. And rather than uh, go through the cumbersome process of uh, you know going into Google and doing a search on Google, she was using device activation on the phone. Right. So I, I think I think where you're at, uh, I think we're at a bit of a tipping point in terms of 
millennials um, and how they consume products and services and millennials downwards so that's talking from anyone from about 30 downwards they've grown up on iPhones uh, which we sometimes forget were only launched in 2007 you know we think they've been around forever they weren't they haven't um, and I think they've only they've only if you look at that generation from kind of 30 or 25 down, they've grown up with these devices in their hand. Um, they've grown up as well with fangs, the Facebooks, the Apple, the Amazon, the Netflix, the Googles. And I think if we take a very critical eye to insurance, I think sometimes the actual journey and the cost, you know, the purchase, the purchase journey is horrendous. Uh, and I think whoever wins that digitization channel and is able to win, win business in those new channels, whether it's during social channels, during um, mobile device channels or potentially even the desktop website, they they're going to be the ones that will that will uh, that will lead the way for the next ten or fifteen years. I have to be honest with you. That's my that's my take on it, really. You know. So you're saying kind of digitization is, I suppose, if we think about any kind of process that we've traditionally done offline, bringing that online, would that be fair yeah. to say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, or the, yeah, the automation of it. But I think for a, from a customer facing point of view or client facing. A public-facing point of view, it's, it's probably an online interface, I would have mm. said. There's loads of opportunities, obviously, in terms of digitization of back office, and, and there is huge opportunities. But I think the important one in terms of the interaction with the client is probably an online mobile presence, really, you know, and the, and the, and the, the automation of, of traditional um, non-automated or non-digitized channels, really, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if this is relevant, but I, I was... Um driving down the street the other day and I am um, driving through my uh, where I live in Scaries in North County Dublin and I was driving yeah. past uh, a closed down extravision shop and my, my cousin was in the car at the time and I said to him Jesus it's mental that that shop is closed because Netflix exists and I'm just wondering you know and there's, there's people who work there who don't work there anymore um, and you know I was just wondering is that an example of digitization kind of and the the effect it can have globally I, I think it, I think that's obviously probably an extreme effect. Of course, um, yeah. I would have said, and and I think where where there's opportunities, and this is the conversations that I'm having with brokers, MGAs, insurers now. And I think the more proactive and enlightened ones can see this as well, right? If you can use digitization and automation, I suppose, which are two you know inter interlocking uh, kind of concepts. If you can use those to automate the kind of uh, low-value uh, repetitive tasks. And then what you can do is you can redeploy people into higher-value tasks. And what I mean by higher-value tasks is taking someone off um, administrative renewals business by automating and digitizing it and putting them onto new business where actually they're going to add significant value to the business and also significant value to your clients and moving them into key account roles or potentially commercial lines and, and using those people properly to, to, you know, where they're going to give you the greatest bang for your book because they're going to have, to, they're going to be in a position that they're going to be able to serve the clients better than the next broker, the next insurer, the next MGA, you know, I would certainly say, but while, while it is a threat and there's no, you know, if you talk about artificial intelligence, you talk about robotic process automation and all of those things, they're all, they're all a threat to, uh, to boots on the ground, we'll say, or to, you know, um, to employment. But I think what it is, is obviously offers massive opportunities. 
to, to redeploy staff into into other areas where they can add significant value to the business by serving clients, you know. Yeah, yeah, and like my, my background is almost exclusively underwriting. So when I think about uh, how digitization affect, could affect underwriting in a positive way, it's exactly what you've said there because underwriting effectively is a decision-intensive uh, task. So, and you can't automate judgment, uh, uh, but you can automate, I suppose, certain decisions. And I think people will probably be surprised at the amount of administration that underwriters have to do. So any time you can take that, I suppose, that time and that um, the the mental capacity it drains maybe from certain people um, to actually redeploy that time and effort into higher value tasks, you know, better, you know, understanding risk better, making better decisions, you know, helping customers, helping brokers, I think is really, really valuable. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, what I'm starting to see, I'm, I'm starting to draw very clear conclusions about how maybe artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing can be deployed to actually, I'm going to say agents, but the same is true for underwriters as well. Those technologies can be deployed to augment the role of the underwriter. So if you can free up the underwriter or the agent or the broker to yeah. actually do their core work, and as you said, the amount of administration involved, and I, I absolutely get what you're saying, and, and having worked in an MGA, an underwriting role, I mean, you have all the, the standard kind of CPC and IDD compliance now, but also beyond that, what you're dealing with is you're dealing with, in, in certainly from an MGA point of view, your capacity provider, they're going to have their own compliance requirements. So the amount of work you're actually doing just to, as you said, to make those to make those decisions is, is huge. But I think if you if you look at how digitization slash automation can assist in an underwriting role, which is decision heavy, as you said, I think what it does is it frees up the individual. And 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 I know it's a bit of a cliche, but to, to people do business with people. So whether your whether your client is a broker or your broker facing underwriter, or whether you're a client facing underwriter, and what it enables you to do in the same way I was saying, it frees up the agent to get involved in more deeper development work with customers. You know, you know, by, by using that kind of augmented underwriter, augmented agent approach with the technologies available, it enables you to, 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 to deepen your relationships with your clients, as I said, whether they're direct clients or whether they're brokers, you know. And, yeah. I, and I think that that will then put you in a position you will be preferred by those brokers because they know that they can pick up the phone, speak to Connor, and they'll get Connor. And the machine can, can, can do the can do the heavy lifting in the background, but Connor can, can get, yeah. the, get the deal over the line, really, you know. So yeah. I, I, I would certainly see there's opportunity. There's far more opportunities than threats from automation, digitization, you know, absolutely. Yeah, and even just thinking about, uh, it kind of frees up underwriters from thinking about um, risk on a case-by-case basis, and it kind of allows you more time to delve into your portfolio and really understand what you have, which can yeah. result in... Um, you know, discovering areas maybe that are particularly profitable and well priced that maybe your competitors might have mightn't have figured out about, and yeah. you know you can absolutely go after those areas, you know, uh, and enhance your products. So it, it kind of, yeah. So just freeing up all that kind of capa- mental capacity can uh, can have a huge uh, knock on effect for I suppose underwriters' bottom line, but probably more importantly, uh, customers uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I don't think if you look at you know from a you know something. I'm going to say relatively simple. I don't mean simple, but household underwriting. I mean, geocoding. I don't know how, ge- how long geocoding is in place. Probably not that long, but it hasn't led to wide-scale redundancies from the insurance industry either. I mean, there's still, just because, you know, you can obviously, a system can tell you, about, you know, the, the uh, proximity to, to water sources and the... Uh, the likely frequency or severity of flooding, you know, hasn't hasn't done away with the need for somebody to actually get eyes on risks at the end of the day either, you know. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, 
I think there's, there's more opportunities than threats out there, you know. And the next one then is commoditization. Um, mm. Can you expand on that a bit? I think where there's, where there's an element of that is uh, in terms of uh, certainly on personal lines business, and, and it's probably connected to the digitization also, that people are, uh, consumers are uh, now more inclined to judge uh, on, a, on a on a level basis. So by commoditizing, the products are becoming more and more commoditized, so they'll just pick that one. So it, it, will, it impacts on loyalty. So really what we're seeing coming down the line is there's a massive challenge to the insurance industry. If they see, and particularly, let's concentrate on something ubiquitous for the time being and, and state mandated, let's say motor insurance, private motor insurance, right? There will be a tendency there and um, consumers will purchase whichever is the cheapest one in the market, okay? Mm. So what that leaves the whole industry open to is potentially a new incumbent or a new player, so rather than a new incumbent, a new player coming into the market. Now, when we look at, and I touched on it earlier with the Fangs, the Facebooks, the Apples, the Amazons, Netflix, Googles, every now and again this story comes along that one of those companies is looking at insurance and then it goes away again because Amazon had a look at this market, but it's not for them or Google do this. And then they push back again, you know, going into aggregation or price comparison sites. But one thing has happened actually, the States at the back end of last year, whereby uh, Capital G, I think it's called, which will be Google's um, venture capital arm, took a fairly significant um, stake in applied systems. Um, so if you think about that for a moment ago, why would Google do that? I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that applied systems have from a tech point of view that Google couldn't, do themselves so it's not the technology they're buying so they're looking for something else so whether that's buying customers again i think i think google could probably go in the morning using their analytics and, and pick up hundreds of times more customers anywhere around the world so there's something specific in there so I, I think i think as an industry if we tell ourselves that none of those companies will ever be interested in coming into the insurance market to sell commoditized products housing insurance, car insurance, van insurance, those types of products, tech insurance, um, travel insurance, pet insurance. I, I think we're really, I, I, I think we're really being really blinkered there. And I think if you if you think about the data that um, a Google or a Facebook um, has in terms of our consumer behavior, um, in terms of our um, behavioral economics, how we spend, what we spend, why we spend, where we spend, what we do, when we do, I mean, you know, to, to say it to anyone, if you think about it, and maybe if you're driving at the moment and uh, listen to this podcast, if you go into Google uh, on your phone and say, where's the fastest route to wherever you're going, Google will then come back and Google will show you where there's traffic issues. Now, Google aren't doing that by satellite or uh, they haven't got, a, I'm old enough to remember the eye in the sky, you know, with helicopters up there looking at traffic or it's not like a road watch. What they're actually doing is they're using the handsets they're using their Android devices that are in cars that are stuck in traffic. So if you think about that, that's a, that's a constant ongoing um, two-way conversation that your devices are, are having with Google, Facebook, and those companies all day, every day. So you will get to a stage where, because of the value of that commoditized, those commoditized products such as house and car, what will happen is a tech company will come along and they launch those products. And because that commoditization through, you know, pure kind of price-driven buyer behavior has led to a scenario where maybe as an industry, we're not adding much value to those products. So that's really what I, what I see about commoditization, you know? Yeah, and I suppose as well, like, um, we have to remember that these big tech companies aren't all aren't 100% purely motivated by, the, by a need to provide 
great products to every customer in every industry. You know, insurance companies are uh, great sources of wealth creation. So if you look at the likes of Berkshire Hathaway, you know, that started off as just a, uh, you know, a small little investment company who ended up buying into insurance companies and many other industries. So like if, which I imagine these big companies are interested in managing wealth and their own wealth and continuing to increase that, you know, insurance is a very attractive insurance company. Said it, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, it throws off a lot of cash. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, very attractive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and hence, and hence, Berkshire Hathaway, as you pointed out, Warren Buffett is not in the insurance business for the goodness of his health. Now, in, 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 and I've, I've read a couple of these, uh, read a couple of books, and, and in terms of how you know how that how that asset class is seen. It's certainly seen as something of a cash cow by 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 Berkshire Hathaway, you know. So, um, I think you're right. I think a, a tech company as savvy as a Google, a Facebook, or an Apple, uh, or an Amazon is, you know, Amazon is selling everything else. So, why <laughs> yeah. at some point it, it wouldn't just say, actually, you know what? We have so much data on these users. Yeah. You know, we can we can isolate a, a gold plated segment and just sell uh, policies in there because there's not much there's not much going on in terms of uh, differentiation between one product and another hence the commoditization tag that they put on it you know so i think as an industry we need to defend 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 our clients from it and also defend as an industry defend ourselves and defend our own channels you know yeah but i suppose commoditization there are opportunities in it there as well in that if you if you do have as much data on individuals as the likes of Google's and Facebook's. Like they could commoditize a product that is specifically for, I don't know, um, underwriters. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or I don't know, uh, pl- plumbers in uh, the Wexford, you know, like, and that is the, uh, or <laughs> plumbers in Wexford who watch, um, Band of, Band of Brothers on TV or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, and that's what, they, that's what they could call their product. Cause, uh, which, so I suppose it does create opportunities for underwriters in, in that, or, and insurance companies and brokers to really tailor products, uh, to very, very specific segments and hopefully, um, make money doing that. It does. And, you know, really what I'd say as a, as a, as a, an aside there, uh, one of the areas, uh, in IT Carlo where I want to open up access to for both in, incumbent insurers and also for startups is our data science uh, function and it's 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 a really great success story for us in IT Carlo we have a master's program and data analytics data science gives those opportunities to derive marketing insights from your data and then as you said tailor it to the plumber that eats breakfast rolls and watches uh, watches Game of Thrones if that's the way you want to go with it but I, I think what it is is I think that the opportunities that lie within the data that uh, both large brokers, MGAs, and certainly insurers have siloed away and are not—they're not extracting the full value from this data. And what I want to make sure is that uh, that opportunity is made available to the insurance industry generally, and also to 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 open up collaboration uh, between the insurance industry and startups and our researchers that we have in IT Carlo. You know. Um. So the last point is uh, disintermediation. Um. Yeah. And one thing I, I hope we could focus on, because it's something I just, I had been thinking about the last couple of days is, are, are insurance companies intermediaries? And will the inter, disintermediation kind of bring more results for reinsurers who maybe want to cut out insurers? If you think of insurers as intermediaries, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think, I think. All insurers are intermediaries to some extent. I think obviously there's there's insurance companies out there that manage their assets and don't purchase reinsurance as such. But I think generally speaking, if you look 
globally, the insurance value chain has always included reinsurers. Um, what, what there is a, a, a small trend. When I say small, it's, it's not small in, in figures, but if you look at some of the, the global insights that are coming off insurtech um, kind of trends and developments, you're starting to see the reinsurers um, really uh, charging ahead in terms of their interaction and collaboration with insurtechs. What, what is that? Why is that? Okay, so firstly, the reinsurers have masses and masses and masses of data built up over a long, long time. Okay, so they have they they may not have the granular detail um, that maybe the, the frontline insurer has, but it's probably made up for in terms of their scale and, and, and the volume of it they have. So evidently, they can get, gather great insights from it. And um, secondly, they have the capacity. And, and I mean, obviously, coming from the MGA broker channel side, and, and particularly in Ireland, I guess we suffer at times through the market cycles from uh, bottlenecks in capacity in terms particularly on the likes of uh, liability classes and motor and stuff like that. So obviously those reinsurers are sitting on, on mountains capital also. But I think one of the other elements is um, you will have seen in the last kind of 15 to 20 years this proliferation in the states of, of cat bonds. Uh, and stuff like that, where basically instruments that insurers are using to put into the market to raise capital. So the traditional reinsurance model is probably less attractive in certain classes or lines of business to certain types of insurers now than it has ever been. So I think that's probably a response from the reinsurers of saying, okay, our market is actually shrinking here because these capital markets, which are highly functioning now, insurers who were previously our, our customers, are now issuing debt instruments into those capital markets themselves and do they need us going forward? So what they're saying is, okay, let's look to these uh, insurtechs, the, the, the client-facing insurtechs, and let's cut out the value chain to get straight to the front end. I think that's a trend. It's a small trend at the moment and it's certainly not something that's going to explode overnight. But I, I, I would say, yes, that into a certain respect, most insurers probably are intermediaries in one way, shape or form, yeah? Yeah, and even as you say, maybe um, uh, the reinsurers are also intermediaries and insurance companies are uh, bypassing them too. Um, yes. But I suppose at a much more um, uh, tactical level, you know, when it comes to uh, brokers and intermediaries in Ireland, uh, how do you see that playing out over the next couple of years? I, th- I, think, they, I think brokers and intermediaries in Ireland, leaving aside insurers for a moment, I, I think there's a struggle they're going to have to remain relevant. I think if you look at the UK uh, as, a, as a barometer, and normally what happens in the UK will eventually spread here. Uh, touching on the commoditization point again, what you've seen is uh, small ticket uh, commercial lines products are also now migrating online in the UK. They're being driven by direct uh, the direct channel. Um, it's a simple sell. Um, uh, and I think that the uh, direct channel players, the UK is a bit strange because of the, the um, influence of the price aggregators on, on personal lines business, which we don't have in Ireland. Um, but I think what you're starting to see is I think you're starting to see direct direct operators here, direct channel. Um, it's probably more profitable. Um, it gives the insurers involved an opportunity whereby they can extract really meaningful data from the interaction that they're having with the prospect online or on whatever channel they're bringing them in through and it enables them to do far more predictive analytics and far more fine-tuned underwriting on it so i think there's a massive challenge lying at the door of intermediaries and brokers here in ireland to remain relevant for their customers connor and uh what like what are the trends what are people doing uh to to help that 
Well, I, I think there there's a realization now um, that there's innovations can be brought to play. I, I think we're probably at a bit of a we're probably on the cusp of something. I, I don't believe it's reached a critical mass yet, and I and I think that's probably up to people like myself. I think it's I think um, you know the, the the guys in the insured tech meetups as well, Jerry and Stan. Of getting the getting the news out there, getting the word out that there are opportunities in terms of uh, insurtech and innovation, because I think insurtech is has been seen over the years as a very abstract concept and something that's happening over there, whether over there is London or over there is New York, and really on the broker and intermediary side, there hasn't been this this grab out to say, okay, what can what value can we extract from insurtech and innovation to really develop our channel? I, I don't think that's happened. I think it's happening. And I think the onus is on guys like me to make sure that the the Irish broker and intermediary channel and the insurance industry generally um, is aware of the kind of um, innovations and developments that that I can you know as 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 the as the embodiment of the InsurTech Network Centre, the INC, can can bring to the bring to the market really you know. Yeah, and I suppose if we take the the three themes that we've been discussing. The holy trinity of uh, digitization, commoditization, and disintermediation. I suppose um, the it seems to me that how you react to um, disintermediation is actually embracing digitization and commoditization by well figuring out how, how to first of all how commoditize products. By that I mean customize you know products, make great products for specific segments, and then digitize the. Uh, the Darling. buying process exactly yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, are there any examples you've seen of uh it doesn't necessarily have to be in ireland uh of intermediaries who are embracing and doing that well i, I think there are examples in in ireland also um and i and i think it's coming to a scenario where probably the the volume personal lines uh brokers the intermediaries will really be pushing the ball out on that um, I think there, there's there's copious examples. I mean, I, I I posted something last night, and to go back to the biggest the biggest beast of all, which is Lemonade, which is obviously in New York, and now in I think it's thirty states now it's in, oh. and also looking at, at coming into Europe or certainly making its um making itself available through an API. Um, and if you look at they introduced initially when they launched, it was about AI on the claim side, but now during the year they introduced more AI on the customer facing side. Okay, in terms of um, midterm alterations, etc., which uh, up until now were were always migrated to a human, basically. So I, I think that kind of augmented augmented agents and um, customer journey uh, using the, the the types of your artificial intelligence, your robotic process automation, not to replace people, and because I think that could lead to further commoditization, but I think to augment what what your frontline agents are doing, so that you're going to deliver a better service to your client. And that will in itself defend from commoditization um, and will also defend from disintermediation because what it will do is it will protect the channel for the broker. Because if people feel that they're extracting value, and when I say people, I mean consumers. So if an insurance buyer feels that there's an exchange of value, in a greater exchange of value in dealing with a broker rather than going to a direct channel, for instance, um, then they'll remain with the broker. But I think that that's, that's a huge it's it's a huge challenge for intermediaries, for brokers, for MGAs, but it's also there's huge rewards off the back of it. And I think for the for the brave few, and I and I know of them, and it's probably commercially sensitive, so I can't say it. But I know there's some great initiatives ongoing. Not many 
in, in Ireland at the moment, but some great ones ongoing at the moment where, you know, a real realisation that the, the market that's coming down the line, just touching back to, to my daughter, uh, you know, using the speech on Google rather than, you know, going to the bother of typing something in, you know, they, they can see what's coming down the line in terms of, uh, you know, customer segments in the next 10, 5, 10 years mm. and future-proofing themselves so that they're in a position to, to serve customers in the way that customers or prospective customers want, you know. I think all of these things, these opportunities to automate, artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, what we should be doing is using that now as an industry to free up our brain power in terms of our underwriters and our claims handlers and our brokers and our agents to serve our customers better. So that when that does happen, maybe we can make it more unattractive to the tech giants or when when that competition does come that the consumer will say, actually, I don't want to commoditize products. I want to deal with XYZ company because I get better service from them, you know. So that's, yeah. that's the challenge. That's yeah, it's funny. I, I take a different view. I, I, I kind of feel like if they can get into the industry, brilliant, get it, br- bring it on because it makes us all better if uh, we yeah. can uh, learn from those uh, businesses. Um, and even I'm thinking, like you know, I suppose this what we're talking about. A lot of the ideas might seem a bit pie in the sky, or you know that it's something that our employers have to worry about. But really, yeah. for all of us, like we all have to think of as individuals, what are we going to do? How are we going to make ourselves relevant to future employers? Uh, why should uh, someone continue to hire us? So I think for all of us, it's about kind of um, uh, education and figuring out uh, what skills we need um, or don't need uh, in the future and investing in that. Good stuff, Darren. Have you any last words for our audience? No last words. I think uh, well, just to um, keep an eye on uh, what kind of content we're going to put out there over the coming months on the InsureTech Network Centre. We have some exciting stuff coming down the line. As I said, I'm going to be out with the Insurance Institute at their Spring Roadshow, so there's five sessions there around the country. And really what I hope to do is kind of demystify InsureTech for your 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 insurance professional, whether that's a broker, underwriter, claims function, whatever functionality you have. You want to understand a bit more about InsureTech, come along to those. Keep an eye on some of the stuff that I'm posting up on, on um, LinkedIn. I'm going to try and take as much, uh, demystify it as much as possible and make it make it something that people can consume and then you know uh, you know as we go on um, we'll be working with these uh, startups and working with incumbents to try and bring uh, bring in short tech to the masses Connor, you know good man Darren. Well, yeah. thanks very much for your time thanks very much Connor. cheers